We got there in the end. Welcome back to the Home Life Podcast. Hey, hey, hey. I am one of your hosts, JH, and I'm here with the ever button pushing Sian. She may or not always <laughs> she may not always push the right button, but she pushes plenty of buttons. I try. I should at least get a gold star for trying. Yeah, I grew up in the wrong generation for that. <laughs> uh Participation, as Avalon would like to call it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Oh, funny, funny, funny. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about 2024 property predictions. We are, because it is the Tuesday after Christmas, as we're we're coming to you through your favourite podcast platform. So whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Give us a like and subscribe. If you're enjoying this, if you've tuned in for a whole heap of episodes and you're getting a bit of value and you're enjoying it, um, give us a like and subscribe, a bit of love. I tell you what, it certainly gives us a little bit of a dopamine hit and we we appreciate it. Um, if you're new, welcome. Stick around. Have some fun. We certainly plan to. Um, and hopefully, hopefully, we can provide a bit of value and a little bit of insight into our real estate market here in Australia along the way. We'll give it a red hot go. Give it a red hot go. And we, look, we've got a bit of a different format actually for the next two apps because we're focusing on 2024 property predictions. We'll start out with our, oh, sorry, with the media predictions uh, that we've come across in this particular episode. And then next episode, which will come out on about the 2nd of January, so right at the beginning of your new year, uh, we'll give you our predictions for the property market in 2024. And uh, hopefully, it'll give you some insight into at least what we think. Is, is going to be happening. Oh, my God. I just confused the hell out of myself. <sighs> I was like, okay, so top five to discuss, yes. And then I'm like, hold on. I thought that was episode 39. So 38 wasn't making any sense as to what you were talking about. And I'm like, hold on. We're going to be coming up with... <laughs> you know, you know... I look. I, I I get that confusion, and to be perfectly Turn honest, the page, Sian. it's it's exactly that type of confusion that's the reason I created Check My House Prize after the GFC. I like, how's that for a segue? No, uh, look. At the end of the day, when it comes to your property journey, the best thing that you can do is be fully informed, and the best way to do that is to actually get a report. With numbered page numbers in, in Sian's case, so that she knows exactly where she is I'd and what she's reading. I still get it confused. <laughs> <laughs> but to, look, to get a full, uh, a free house price report, it's got all the information, what's happening in your area, what it means for your property, so that you are fully informed to make the best possible property decisions. And the media hype and the noise and the barbecue hype, because let's be honest, we've all just been at barbecues at Christmas and that, and mum and dad and, and Uncle Fred and that, they've all got opinions on what's happening in, in the housing market. The best way to truly know what is happening is to get a free house price report from Check My House Price and to be fully informed, regardless of whether you're planning on selling, staying, buying investment property, 
at least this way you're, you're armed to make the best possible decision. And on that note, check myhouseprice.com.au for our Australian listeners. Check myhouseprice.co.nz for our New Zealand listeners. It is absolutely free. Costs you nothing to be fully informed. Knowledge is power. Absolutely. All right. So Five predictions. Let's get into. Oh, I love predictions. Okay. Nostradamus. <laughs> Calm down. No, he was. Put he, your tinfoil hat away. No, no, he was an he was a drug addict. But a very knowledgeable one. Not really. Has, he just got high on hallucinogens and, and wrote shit and down. Has <laughs> has really helped fire all those uh, conspiracy theorists out Ooh. there. Ooh. Um, Okay, so first one, an interest rate cut will spark demand. Because we don't already have it. So, of course, an interest rate's going to do it. (laughs) Yeah, like I I think I'd I'd definitely take umbrage with the language in that because you're suggesting that the demand isn't there. We're still seeing growth despite, you know, record number of interest rate hikes and the speed at which they've, they've occurred. Look, I honestly... I kind of feel like we're going to see at least one more, if not two more, interest rate rises before we see a cut. And the reason for that is the, the numbers that came out after this uh, these predictions were released showed that we actually had some really strong numbers still, and inflation kind of was almost resistant. Um, fuel prices are sc- still skyrocketing, rent still skyrocketing, and as we know, that, that makes up a huge chunk of the CPI basket. So... Yes, an interest rate cut will spark demand, but that's kind of like a Nostradamus prediction where it could literally apply to almost any, like it's true simply by the very nature of the language, like the the sentence the, itself. The second sentence of this is, however, the outlook could be improved for buyers with a cut in interest rates or an easing of the mortgage services ability. Yeah, and and I think the first line is important there is affordability issues and And lower borrowing power will continue to place a ceiling on buyers' ability to purchase a home. So it's not exclusively interest rate that will actually do it. It's like there is so many other things that need to happen as well as yeah. interest rate, however, but interest rates are there in order to help make sure that the economy doesn't yeah. do stupid stuff. There's, well, but there's, even there's, more stupid yeah, it, stuff. Yeah, it's it's a really blunt lever on on sort of controlling the market. And the biggest problem that we have uh, in 2023 is that only 60% of properties in Australia actually have a mortgage on them. Mm. Right, and that's that's a full scope. That's a brand new mortgage where you know eighty percent of the property value is owed, all the way through to a mortgage where one percent of the property value is owed. Yeah. Right. So you've got this broad sort of spectrum of of mortgages on sixty percent of the properties. Now, if you owe ten percent, twenty percent, you can't afford to pay it all out right in one go. That's you go and get that refinanced, and it drops your repayment significantly. Yeah. So, and, and I'm not saying to someone they should go and do that, go seek independent financial advice. I'm not a financial advisor, but my point is that you, there are levers that the individual can pull to alleviate the financial stress that an interest rate rise causes. Yeah. So there's only 60% of the market total that could be potentially affected by the rises. 40% are unaffected because there's no mortgage on the property. So the cost of living pressures in that don't impact them as much and by the same token, there's more liquid income in that. So they can still go and buy more property, buy more whatever that they want, mm. which, of course, means that the the um, easing effect that in, like interest rates have on inflation 
is significantly limited compared to what it was 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. So will an interest rate cut spark demand? Absolutely it will. Like yep. that's that is that's not a bold prediction. That's just a statement of fact. But will we get an interest rate cut? That's the question we've got to ask. Uh, I don't think it's about demand. The demand is already there. The demand is there. And interest rate. It's just going to exacerbate it. Okay. An, an interest rate cut is going to exacerbate it. Yeah. Because the demand, yes, the demand has dropped off with these interest rate rises, but not enough to truly curb However, inflation as, as much as they wanted. Really, really interesting if they had have said an interest rate cut would increase supply. That would be amazing. Don't know how it would work. But <laughs> I was, was going to say, it would both be a bold prediction and... Amazing at the same time. Some sort of mythical magic. <laughs> Look, I like to think that it could be done. Uh, I'd love an economist if to know even how it could, could theoretically be done. could out and do something about yeah, it. Yeah, no, look, we need, we need more houses for sure. Uh, the flight to affordability. Some buyers may consider so-called bridesmaid suburbs a second choice as they chase affordability. That's what you want to hear, isn't it? You're a bridesmaid. You're the second choice. You look stunning up there, Always but you're a second. Always never a bride. Yeah. <laughs> look, I, I mean, this is, to be honest, this is obvious. We haven't touched on anything yet that's a bold prediction or anything like um, affordability. You know, people need shelter. And there's going to be a lot of people who are going to look at their second choice, third choice, fourth choice, fifth choice suburbs. I think as well, we're going to see, um, you know, rural properties are going to increase in value, particularly rural where you're within 90 minutes of of a major CBD area or in areas that are really well serviced by internet services, power, electricity, all that sort of stuff. I think there's going to be massive, like, especially now that we have gone through COVID, people can prove that, yes, they can work from home. I think there's going to be a massive change even within the workplace. I look, yeah, I think the gig economy is going to see a resurgence. Work, workplaces aren't going to be exclusively in a head office kind of uh, thing. Yes, yeah. there will still be a lot of places that have to have that happen, but I think there's also going to be a um, – people are going to be now looking at, okay, if you can't come in here because of obviously where you live – if you can't come in here, um, can you do it once or twice a week as opposed and, yeah, to five days I think, a week? I think there's going to be a hybrid thing. I don't think we're going to see a pure work from it, home or no. work in the office uh, kind of environment. I think we're going to start to see hybridization. And look, in that, if if we look at that, let's say you're in... Even you if know, they had like satellite offices. So let's say if they've got like there's, there's five a, there's or There's a lot of that happening already. But I think that if you... If you break it down, you look at, say, the five-day working week traditionally, and, and I know a lot of people work longer hours, we do too, but just as a hypothetical, we've got the five-day working week. If you go, yep, I'm going to be in for two days a week, and they're cool with that, you work from home three, or even you turn that around, it's not as big a burden to drive that hour in, that 90 minutes in, 90 minutes back yeah, for those days. Because you're only doing it once or twice or yeah. three times a week, Yeah, right? So it it makes it significantly more viable, which enhances the appeal of that rural tree change, sort of getting outside of the the major metropolitan areas. Well, and I, I think we'll see that a little bit more of a migration to that. Like we saw it happen in COVID. Well, it had to happen. In and, and it had to happen. And we've seen it sort of start to come back as people start to come back towards the metro areas. But we've also seen a, a fair bit of at least around the major rural centres, yeah. there's a lot more infrastructure that started to get built. Like, you know, I've just driven to Adelaide and back. 
we've done trips out west in Queensland and that, and there's a lot of infrastructure being put in play mm. in those major kind of rural centres mm. and, and, you know, the smaller centres as well yeah. uh, that make it more appealing to get out of the rat race and kind of set your own terms out there. So I, th- I think we'll, we'll see, like we'll definitely see a flight towards affordability, yeah. um, which will in turn take the affordable and make it unaffordable because yeah. demand, well, supply. The, the other thing too, though, is that because it's not coming from a place of like majority of the workplace would be feeling it to some extreme or the other. Like they've got kids, they you know need to get their before six o'clock because that's normally when kindies are like we're out of here and you yep. get charged yep. like three dollars for every minute yep. afterwards, all of that sort of stuff. So having that capability of where you know sure you if you do you know even a half day technically a half day here in the office, but you can make up the rest of the time you know at home then so be it. Yeah, Because it's and still I, and I technically think, working within those business hours, but well, at the it, same it time, it's also family friendly. It, it is. And I think that's that hybrid kind of world. And in a hybrid world, we're going to see all sorts of variations. Oh, we, we're going to see and, a lot of different things. And I think things. that that's going to lead to better work-life balance. I think it's actually going to lead to better productivity. It takes, and, and I, look, I've been working for myself since I was 13 years old. Mm. Uh, I've, I've worked from home almost since that time and even after moving out of home and that sort of thing like I've, I've done at least a 15 year stretch of mm. working from home this last particular stretch and I think we're in the early stages so whenever somebody and I've, I've watched this happen a number of times whenever somebody first starts working from home when they've always worked in an office or always gone to school they find it hard it's, it's hard it's hard but you go through a three to five year cycle right the first six to 12 months is actually pretty cruisy because you're like, I can go pick up the kids from school. I can be there for their important things. I can I can be that balanced person I've always wanted to be and mm. be involved here and there and everywhere. And But then after that six to 12, you start to miss the social interaction of the office yeah. and things like that. And you fall into the trap that uh, if you're not careful, that you walk out your bedroom door and you're in your office or wherever the office is, you're it's still part of your house. So it's easy to just overwork. Yeah. And you fall into that trap, which then sort of erodes away at your mental health and your happiness. And then you get to a point somewhere around Where about... Where you hate being in well, your house. Yeah, yeah. And you, you at about the two and a half, three year mark, you start to burn out mm. and you start to hate being in your house. You start to feel like all you ever do is work. And there's this constant demand of, and this obligation of work and everything like mm. that. And that's... You usually hit a wall about that point. Mm. And I've, I've watched... Dozens of people do this and I've, I've helped guide them through it because I've been doing it for so long. Um, and you hit that wall and it's after hitting that wall that you start to pick yourself up and you start to go, you know what, I don't want to hit that wall. I'm going to put boundaries in play. Mm. And you start to create habits that allow you to operate and operate effectively to create that balance, to take advantages of all the best things about working from home, mm. but also to mitigate the challenges and, the, and that sort of the thing. The one thing that I wish we had is that we had at door to our office Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. it's just okay it's got to you know sometimes seven o'clock at night i have to i'm done yep and you walk out and 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 you walk out and you close the door and you don't look at it until and and it's 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 a psychological sort of symbolic thing yeah it's closing that part off and, and that is super super important yeah um and it's yeah absolutely and i agree with you but i think if we look at like the move towards working from home during COVID, 
we're not even a full three years away from that. So we've we've gone through that period where a lot of people have gone, oh, this first six months, 12 months, this is great. Mm. Like I can do my work, I can I'm more efficient, you know, I've got balance, I can do all these things. Like <laughs> I'm, I'm not, not allowed to go outside. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm not burning through so much fuel or whatever my travel costs yeah. are, you know, all this. And so there was the perks. And then it was, hey, everyone's got to come back to work. And we went, Oh, I can't wait to get back to work because I want the social life. Yeah. Right. And so as a society, I think we're going through that cycle. Yeah. And I think that we're going to find that balance over the next couple of years. But I think it's probably going to start in 2024. We start to see that migration. Yeah. We start to see people going, you know what? I want the balance, but I also need to live further away. So I need this hybrid kind of setup. I think it's going to be the fact that workplaces are going to be more understanding when it comes to being able to afford. Look, I hope so. Because if you... Otherwise, they're going to give them pay rises, right? (laughs) Otherwise, their employees are on the street. Not only that, could you imagine having to deal with... Like, it's hard enough to deal with one staff member who is going through a really hard financial time trying to find, you know, somewhere to live, got family, you know, don't have support networks... Like, you don't want your staff to be homeless because that means that they are not productive for you at all because they're trying to make ends meet. So they're not going to be as efficient as what they had been previously. So I think a lot of workplaces are going to be looking at going, hold on, we we want our staff to be top-notch. We need them to be top-notch. And the way that it's going to happen, if it means that we need to be flexible, then that's what needs to happen. And I think that's where we're going to see... Uh, a betting in of the hybrid model where it's part office time, part home time, a lot of flexibility, um, at least for high-performing staff and, yeah. and the people, the, the sought-after people with the skill sets, the personalities, the culture um, that, that you want to have in your company. And I think that's what we're going to see. So, yeah. So, the I, flight, think, I think the, the flight, flight to affordability. I mean, It will be more of, uh, yes, it will be doing the whole bridesmaids Suburbs. I mean, it's it's not areas. really a prediction. The writing's on the wall for this one. It's it's kind of like, oh, you think so? I mean, a duh. But this is this is how it's probably going to work out. I don't understand what this is. I know this one. Yimbies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So will replace Nimbies. So what that stands for is traditionally when it's come to urban densification, and what that means is to build up rather than out create greater density in urban areas, so more dwellings in smaller spaces, right? People have responded traditionally in Australia going, no, not in my backyard. NIMBY, not in my backyard, Yeah, right? Well, the other and one is yes, yes, in my backyard. Yes, in my backyard. So there's going to be that the, the belief that there's going to be that shift Once I read the first one, Do- Domain predicts a year of progressive housing and national planning reforms. So we had talked previously about the build to rent, Um, and I'm pretty sure that there's one currently that's happening in Victoria Point only because of the way that they've been advertising things where it is pretty much exclusive. Well, it is exclusively. And there were six. There were six across Melbourne, Sydney and Brisbane uh, apartment buildings that had had been done Well, these are townhouses. Yeah, so these ones are townhouses. Like semi-detached because there's only two in the little things together. So it's not like they're townhouse duplex kind of hybrids. Yeah. Um, so, so look, I, I'm looking I, at this. I reckon, I, I reckon this would be a one definite way of being able to deal with the, the population growth. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I agree with you. And I think that the way they're going to do it is they'll turn around and start declaring that properties are zoned for, 
you know, high density, medium density, that yeah, sort of thing. That's what they're and saying. And what what here. will happen? What will happen then is the people that are owning a nice big block that's just been rezoned high density, mm. they will then sell that for a mint, and then they'll move out into bigger yeah. areas, right? Because usually, too, a lot of those people they don't need to be close anymore because mm. look, boomers are aging. They own a lot of the property as well. Um, but even your professionals who are in those areas, they're they're often sitting on houses that are incredibly expensive, um, and you know they're of a skill set that they may also get to enjoy that hybridization we were just talking about mm. in terms of that that office versus work from home, and so they may not need it, which means that they can make a lot of money by selling the property or by doing a JV and or, or developing it to build it up, and at the same time go out and live on on larger blocks with bigger houses in cheaper areas that are further out, but not so far out that they can't commute to work a couple of times a week. Yeah. So I, th- I, I agree with that one. I think that one's probably the boldest of the predictions to come through because oh, traditionally hope, Australians are not in my backyard. Yeah. Um, and, and we don't like that, that high density. Um, yeah. It's one of the appeals for, for other people from other countries is they come here and, and compared to other countries, we actually have pretty low density housing in our metropolitan areas. Well, given that a lot of the time that they look at it, you, you know, you can look at some properties and you go, oh, like, this is a big block. This is really good. And then when people go, oh, there's big enough that you could put a whole other property, like house yeah, behind and, it. And you look at like, them and you're like, I'm, I'm sorry, what? Did you just do- swear at me? <laughs> yeah. But, but the big problem with it, the big problem though Which with this definitely urban... definitely not in my backyard. Yeah. And, and the big problem with this urban densification that they're that they're starting to talk about and the national planning reform that they're starting to hint at is our roads have not been constructed and our town town planning has not been constructed with high density in mind Mm -hmm. and so if you think sydney's traffic is bad now if you think melbourne's traffic is bad now hell if you think brisbane's traffic is bad now it is going to get a whole lot worse if they don't upgrade the roads at the same speed or faster than what they start building high density dwellings. Because if you take, there's going to be opportunities where you're going to be able to take a house and turn it into six, 10, 20 apartments, right? So you've gone from having five people, maybe at most three cars in that property. If, if they're, you know, older, like adults Mm. living with parents in that, and suddenly you're taking it to 20 to 40 cars, yeah, well, the other thing too That's is... That's a lot more cars look, on, a, on a... Look how shocking it is just within Brisbane City. Like once you get look at, look out at what's of, happening in the Redlands the with, as they're increasing the, the density here with the various different housing that developments. That should have been done 20 years ago. And this is my point. It should have been done 20 years ago everywhere, but it hasn't been. And so our roads are going to become gridlocked in more, like an even greater fashion than what they already mm-hmm. are. Because it, or if they do not improve the it's roads, because they're too busy the about the the budget of things. And I get that. Yes, you need to be aware of budget, but at the same time, if you're looking at this going, well, we want this to be high density within the next forty years, right? Where's that stamp duty money going? Uh, update stuff exactly. Like, if it means, and there's going to be a lot of people that are like, "You're ripping down my home," and it's like, "Well, yeah, but." Well, hang on, hang on. You're selling that home at a significant profit, and if you're smart, you're JVing with the builder so that you're getting a piece of the action on every sale. Well, not only that, if you can turn around and go, all right, I'll take two of the apartments in there. 
There's all sorts so of things I'm that you could be doing. So I'm still technically living here at the I, address. See, me personally, I'd, I'd be going, I'd be going out to bigger blocks and bigger houses. Yeah, and but getting you out. Know, like I can't stand traffic. I can't stand the rat race. All right, look, you just can't stand people, but that's beside the point. I like people, just in small doses. <laughs> so the next one. Is this really investigative, like, at all? Sorry, Nine News, but you pretty crap. Rental markets reach I, a I tipping probably, point. I should probably tell you, Nine's Nine, Nine and, you know, all those, they, they do like to sue. They've got in-house lawyers. Uh, yeah. But <laughs> rental markets reach a tipping point. Like, Define, really? Hang on. What's, what's their tipping point here? Uh, domain predicts net overseas migration to have peaked. Strong population growth looks set to remain normal. Patterns are expected to return by 2025. Strong population growth will continue to impact the market, particularly when it comes to overseas students available. With a challenging rental market, some may consider buying a more appealing. Most now already can. <laughs> now, do you understand why I'm like, yeah, cool. Thanks for that, Captain Obvious. <sighs> anyway, bless their cotton socks. Well, if there's another prediction after that, but let's let's talk about that. What I, is after that? I, there isn't I any. That's I thought, it. I thought there was one. No. Liar, liar, I, pants on fire. Population-driven housing demand. Oh. Rental. Yeah. So. Sorry. Look, <laughs> we'll we'll deal we'll deal with the rental stuff. Um, we're already at a tipping point. Um, to say it'll reach tipping point next year just is basically another way of saying it's going to get a whole lot worse before it gets better. Johnny come lately. It's just <laughs> the new yeah. kid in town. Yeah, it's look. It's going to get worse before it gets fingers. better. <laughs> it's going to get worse before it gets better. There's, you know, that's that's just the way it is. Supply and demand. Um, so population driven housing demand again, really. Strong population growth will continue to impact the market, particularly when it comes to overseas students and available rentals. So what you're saying is demand's going to increase and because of that, we already don't have enough supply. So demand increasing is going to impact the market. Wow. Riveting. (laughs) I feel, yeah. Am I good at sarcasm? Yes. Yes, I am. Ah oh dear. So yeah, look, I, I mean, what do, what do you say about that? It's it's. I can't really say that there's anything there that I can go. Oh my god, that it's none of them truly, are bold. None of them are particularly just, bold predictions. Look, quite honestly, old mate would have been better. What's old his, mate. Yeah, old mate. Oh, Nostradamus. <laughs> yeah, would have been better at performing. Nostradamus uh, would have written it in such a convoluted way that you could have applied it to 18 different things just yeah, today alone. Yeah, but do you know what? He probably would have come up with something more interesting than that. Oh, look, absolutely. And not as obvious either. No. And and look, I get I get it's obvious, but you you could you could reframe this. They've literally just said that 2024 is it's going, going to, to be, be 2023. It's going to be exactly <laughs> what we've said the housing market is going to be all year. Yeah. For the exact same reasons we've Given said. Given the fact that we've been talking about this since May. So thanks so for showing up. Thanks thanks for being there. Um, thanks for coming on. <laughs> thanks for coming into you the could, room. You could, you could be a little bit more scathing if you tried. Oh, I could be, but, you know... <laughs> But look, at the end of the day, it, it all comes back to the exact supply same thing. Supply and demand. Exactly. We have too much demand like, um, for supply. I sounded like the chalkboard out of Mr. Squiggle. Hurry so, up. Yeah. Hurry up. Except it was Upside supply down. and demand. 
<laughs> so on that. <laughs> on that, I feel like we should have had a JT. And this has been a quick episode, but wow, those predictions were... Uh... Those were horrible. All right. Join us next week. Jump in. So if you look, if you at least laughed along with us, um, you know, give us a like and, and subscribe. Especially if you went, oh uh, yeah. No, yeah. If if you're sitting there with us, going, no shit, Sherlock. Um, you know, you're probably going to enjoy the the other bits and pieces. But look, jump in next week. Uh, we'll do our predictions for the property market in 2024. We've kind of touched on them a little bit here in in different ways. In that we've expanded on what the media predictions were and gone. Well, this is what we think actually, and how these things are going to play out. But uh, Join us, like and subscribe. Hopefully you're having fun because we are. That's what matters at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And we'll see you around like rissoles.